we've increased the number of people working uh, for helping uh, people with mental health problems. A gruesome Halloween stabbing last year by an alleged mentally ill man in Quebec sparked a $100 million injection into that province's mental health system. And across Canada, a rise in addiction and overdose rates amid the time of COVID. Dr. Christine Grew from the Order of Psychologists of Quebec speaks about her province's alarming data on psychological distress. And world-renowned addiction specialist and author, Dr. Gabor Mate is here to talk about the hidden cost of stress and what we can do about it. We've been dealing with the necessary isolation, but we've not been dealing with the impacts of that isolation. Today on Context, the pressures of life. With the ongoing issues surrounding COVID-19, mental health is one of the major factors impacted by it. From our adolescents to our elders and everyone in between, this global pandemic is taking a toll on many. We speak now with Dr. Christine Gru, uh, president of the Order of Psychologists of Quebec, to look at this issue on a deeper level. Thank you so much, Dr. Gru, for joining us today. My pleasure. Now, our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Quebec after the horrific Halloween incident where two people were killed and more wounded by an alleged mentally ill man in Quebec. Your province uh, has injected $100 million into mental health care. Will that work? Will it work? Well, actually, it's better than nothing. I think uh, it's a very good news because um, we were expect expecting people to have mental health difficulty with that pandemia, and that's what is happening. So it's what is a very good news, actually, is to have a government that is um, caring about mental health. Yeah. A recent survey stated that the rise of psychological distress has risen by 86%. And as yeah. you said in one of your interviews, uh, and I quote, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Tell us more about this. 86%, that's astounding. Uh, it's a lot of people, actually. But we asked, we made a survey to the members of the order. So those are psychologists who are working in public health services or in private practice. And uh, I said that it's probably just the tip of the iceberg because this is the observations of the psychologist who, who can see people in distress. But what about the people that do not have a psychologist or that are on waiting lists? So there, there, there are probably a lot of people actually uh, that would uh, beneficiate from psychological uh, help. What do you, people need to keep in mind, do you think, when it comes to mental wellness during this pandemic? Well, the first thing they have to keep in mind is to make the difference between what they don't have control on and where they can have control. We don't have control about how long is going to last the pandemic, but we have control about how we're going to organize our days, our week. We have control uh, on uh, making our week differently from the weekend. Um, so there is a lot of things on which we have control and we have to just make sure that we uh, ex exercise that control. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have to keep in mind is not to feel guilty if we have bad days. It's normal that we have 
I mean, bad days or sad days. And the day after, we can just take things into perspective and just think about things differently. But it's, I mean, we have to allow ourselves to be sad, to be mad, uh, or to feel bad. It's normal. Uh, and also, we have to revise our objectives because we have to have uh, realistic goals. Mm. And it's okay if we don't do so much. I mean, we just have to take care of us and that's that's fine yeah. actually uh we have also to remember that this is going to have an end even if it mm-hmm. takes i mean if it feels we feel like it's long it's unpredictable we feel like we have a lack of control but it's going to end at a point well said excellent advice thank you so much dr christine Gru, president of the order of psychologists of quebec thank you again Dr. Gabor Maté is an author of several books, including In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, When the Body Says No, The Hidden Cost of Stress, and Hold On to Your Kids. He is also a physician and world-renowned addiction specialist. A survivor with his mother of the Holocaust, his maternal grandparents were killed by the Nazis when he was just five months old. Dr. Maté's research is in the connection of mind and body health. He has dedicated his life to helping the disenfranchised and broken in our world and says COVID is a time in life to ask ourselves questions, examine our thinking, and seek truth. He spoke with Context executive producer Susan Ponting from his home in Vancouver. Dr. Gabor Mate, I'm honored to read your work and now actually to be here interviewing you, but having the chance to. Uh, thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I want to ask you first off the top about the toxicity in our world that in the amid COVID-19, all of us emotionally and in our bodies are absorbing. Yes. So what COVID has done is it has highlighted and um, heightened and intensified a lot of unhealthy dynamics that are inherent in this culture. So when I say unhealthy dynamics, I mean from the point of view of what do human beings require? So basically, from the evolutionary point of view, we're wired for connection, for contact, for belonging, for a sense of meaningful activity, for, um, we might say we have a neurological system that's set up for loving and to be loved. Now this culture basically tells us that we're competitive, aggressive creatures meant to um, vie with each other for the necessities of life and that some has to lose and some has to win. Now COVID has heightened all that because where we have this need for connection, it has isolated us. In fact, the byword is um social distance whereas what we need is social closeness now for a lot of people that's very very difficult because already their sense of connection was tenuous so there's been an epidemic of loneliness in in the western world in the last 30 40 years especially and we know that loneliness and disconnection is physiologically harmful people that are isolated socially they get sick quicker and they die quicker of their diseases 
because our physiology is dependent on connection. And so what we found under COVID is, um, first of all, the most vulnerable people, the most marginalized, are the ones to get quicker, uh, sick, sicker from COVID and who are more susceptible to it. We're also finding there's an increase in overdoses from drug, uh, drug use. There's an increase in mental health conditions. There's an increase in domestic violence. In other words, all the dynamics that were present in a society before right. are now heightened under the impact of COVID. We all have people in our lives who are lonely. You could even call the zeitgeist or the spirit of this age loneliness because of our culture. So what is the answer when you feel so helpless? You know, I wish I had an easy answer to that. Um, but I think the answer has to um, arise on, on two levels. First of all, any crisis, as the Chinese say, is also an opportunity. So in a crisis, there's danger and there's opportunity. So the dangers that we've already talked about. The opportunity is that we, on the individual level, really ask ourselves, who are we really? Yes. And, and how do we derive meaning from life? Yes. And what really matters to us? And uh, what COVID has given many of us is an opportunity, in fact, an imposed opportunity to be with ourselves and to do some self-reflection. So on, on some level, I think we have to really start looking at ourselves and, and ask ourselves, well, what is our lives really all about? On a social level, I believe that in dealing with the epidemiological aspects of COVID, the, the perhaps necessary isolation and, and, you know, the lockdown and so on, what the society has not done is to say, well, what else can we put in this place? How do we help people connect? What structures can we create? What programs, what public programs can we create to bring people together, even if they're physically isolated? That has not been done. We've been dealing with the necessary isolation, but we've not been dealing with the impacts of that isolation. You can't separate people's emotional lives from their physiology. You can also not separate people's physiology from their relationships. Sue Rodriguez, Stephen Hawking, and the cellist Jacqueline Dupre. Incredible, fascinating stories. I had no idea about Sue Rodriguez and how lonely she was. And I had no idea that all of this, all like childhood and so many loneliness, so many things make us sicker as we age, when the body just eventually says no. The cost of hidden stress, right. which is a totally different story, which means that a lot of the stresses that are ailing us, we're not even aware of it. There's a central no. theme running through us as we wear our masks every day. Yeah. Now, the two of the people that you mentioned, Sue Rodriguez, the person who fought for the right to kill herself with assisted suicide, and did so finally, because she had ALS, lateral sclerosis, and Stephen Hawking, who also had ALS. Yes. They're very interesting figures. First of all, because ALS is supposed to be terminal within two years or within 10 years at the most. Stephen Hawking lived more than 50 years. After he was told he's got two years left, he lived another five decades at least, which tells us what? Which tells us that medical science maybe doesn't know everything. Now, let me tell you, since that book came out, there's been more studies on ALS. 
published in the medical literature. Well, interesting, the niceness attribute of their personalities, which under the surface is uh, unmetabolized emotion, rage and anguish, not anger, anguish. Yes, well, so there's been a study more since the publication of my book, which showed that ALS people who get in touch with their anger, they live longer. And furthermore, another study that showed that most neurologists to work with ALS people find them extraordinarily nice. Yes. Now, now what does that tell us? It tells us that there's a tremendous interaction between mind and body that medical science does not investigate. And furthermore, that what we call medical science, valid as it is, is is a very narrow strip of reality. And that our understanding has to go way beyond. Now, I've talked to people with ALS who are supposed to have been died, dead 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what they've done is they've completely transformed their relationship to themselves. Wow. Now, if you can give me a moment, if I can jump up and jump, sit down again, is that okay? Absolutely. Give me a second. So if you look at the important systems in the body and the brain, They're completely connected. So that the emotional centers in the brain are connected to the immune system and the hormonal apparatus and the uh, nervous system. There's a book that came out recently. I'm holding it in my hand. Mm -hmm. It's called Cured, the life-changing science of spontaneous healing. It's by a physician psychiatrist from Harvard University. And like I've done, I've talked to multiple people with multiple sclerosis, for example, who were told that they're going to have to be on medication for the rest of their lives, and this condition was going to get worse, were actually better from their multiple sclerosis. Now, in this book, Dr. Rediger documents, he gets the medical records of dozens and dozens of people who have been told they have terminal disease. There's nothing more that medical science can do for them who actually heal completely. Mm-hmm. And he's not the only one to have done such research. Mm-hmm. And what Rediger found, and what I have found, and what other researchers have found, is that the biggest transformation in the people that heal from so-called terminal disease is a transformation in their relationship to themselves. Now, I'm not here to speak against medical science. I can see really well, because I had this amazing corneal um, implant wow you know people are walking around with heart transplants Mm -hmm. so there's no gainsaying or there's no naysaying the uh, miracles of modern medicine but what i'm saying about it is that in the face of chronic conditions modern medicine is pretty helpless Mm -hmm. and because we don't look at the mind-body unity and to what extent how we relate to the world and our emotions and our thoughts and how what we believe about ourselves affects our physiology. Jesus says that the power and the reality is not outside of yourself, but inside. He says the kingdom of God is within. How does your own personal faith inform you and your work? You know, look, Susan, there's 
there's the there's the there's the persona, there's the genuine activity that I carry out in the world, carry out in the world, and I know that I've my work has meant a lot to a lot of people. Yes. But I also have to tell you, as confident and as articulate as I may be when I express my understanding of the world and and the authentic nature of reality. In my personal life, I'm I'd be much more conflicted, yes. and, and and it's 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 for me it's an ongoing. So when you ask about meaning and 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 faith, really for me, I believe in people's. If I have a faith, it's in the basic goodness of humanity, and that we're meant to be much more than just our little minds and our little isolated egos. I also am constantly up against the challenge of my own limitations and my own lack of faith and my own discouragement and and the need to keep working to get underneath that and beyond it. So that I would say what keeps me going is my interest in the truth and just what is reality. Mm-hmm. and. I keep having to ask that question on the personal level and on the social level. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel discouraged. But on the whole, I do have a, a knowledge that there is truth, you know. And um, like Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will liberate you. Well, it's not that I'm a liberated person. But I do see the potential for liberation in all of us. So that's what keeps me going. Everybody has to find their own answer. Mm -hmm. So I say to people is start asking questions about your life. Start getting curious about what you believe, why you believe it. Is it really true? Is there something more that you haven't looked at? If things are not working for you, rather than being down on yourself, and ashamed of yourself or blaming others, be curious about it. So really what I teach, if anything, is curiosity. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank you so much uh, for talking with me and for your honesty. And may we all take off the masks and may we all get to know ourselves on a, on a deep level, true level. Here's Maggie John with one university student who made a drastic life change for her own mental wellness. So thank you, Patricia, for having us today at your school at Redeemer. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk to you about this transition and this challenging time that you went through. You uh, got bursaries and awards, went to your dream school, Queen's University, got accepted into their nursing program. Yeah. But something happened a couple of years ago. What happened that transitioned and changed that? Queen's University was my dream school. Um, I was very eager to go there. It was actually in grade 12 that I decided that, you know what, I think I want to do nursing. Um, I was just recognizing all of my skill sets and everything, and I was like, I think this is for me. So I was very eager to do that and it's a very competitive school. I'm a very competitive person and in my first year actually everything was smooth, everything went really well. It's just that I challenge myself a lot and I'm 
a huge perfectionist so it got kind of tough because little by little and gradually I felt I was burning myself out but I didn't really know how to deal with that. Yeah. That transitioned and that kind of seeped through into my second year. So right now I'm in third year. And um, what did that look like? What do you mean it seeps through? Yeah, so just a lot of things that were piling up in first year, whether it be the added stress and the responsibility and the, you know, the pressures of being in a nursing program. It's it's a very, very difficult program. And I feel like they didn't really equip us well enough um, to have that kind of support for mental health and mental health is such an important thing and it just started going downhill for me. And had you ever had like mental health challenges before? I have but I've never really recognized them and they've never really taken a toll on me in this way before. So in that second year it was just a lot of pressure on me and I didn't really know how to deal with it. I didn't know who to go to who to talk to about it. I thought it was normal. I think I thought it was just the pressure of being at university, of being in the school. But, you know, something deep inside of me told me that I don't think this is the way that it should be. What were some of the symptoms that you were experiencing? So with anxiety, anxiety and depression are very different things. And I think I had a combination of both. Wasn't It's not a very good combination. So with anxiousness and with stress, your body is on high drive and you're so in biology, we call it the sympathetic nervous system. It's on high drive. My cortisol levels were completely up and that causes you to feel dizzy, to feel nauseous, not eat or overeat. Um, and a lot of it was caused because of my insomnia. And I had chronic insomnia for several months, so I wasn't sleeping at all. So this kind of added on to the stress, added on to the anxiety. I became even more depressed and I was kind of in this cocoon and this little bubble that I didn't know how to get out of. Yeah. And it was just a continual cycle. So did you reach out for help? Yeah, so um, it was actually not until way after that I realized that maybe this isn't the place that I need to be at. Mm. and. I finally stepped back away from it, which it was a very hard thing to do, and I didn't want to do it. I was very resistant. Um, it wasn't until then I reached out to a spiritual counselor, mm. actually a Christian counselor, even though I was resistant of doing that too. Why? Um, I'm a very independent person, yep. and I think this whole entire experience, it just humbled me a lot, like, no. You can't do it on your own. Sometimes you need some help. And it allowed me to kind of step back and be like, okay, I need to accept my limitations and I need to see that, yeah, I, I need to see somebody. That was kind of the last straw. How did COVID also impact maybe this? Did it, did it add to the stress and anxiety? Mm -hmm. So when I finally decided to leave, um, I didn't know that I wasn't going to come back. I thought I was maybe going to come back and maybe choose a different route. So COVID made it um, kind of easier for me to isolate myself right? because I didn't want to put pressure on other people in knowing that something's not okay with me. And I didn't want people to feel like, you know what, my hands are tied, I can't do anything. I don't want to put pressure on them. So I just kept it all to myself. And that was the most unhealthiest thing that I've done. And um, that was hard because with COVID, it's like isolation, not seeing people. Those are the exact opposite things I needed in order to heal myself. So you needed to be around community and yes, people that exactly. loved you. People that loved me, people that supported me. And, um, you know, that's one of the things with depression is that you don't want 
anybody. Mm -hmm. You do, but you don't at the same time. Yeah. And it's very hard for you to admit that, especially for me and maybe people like me that are overachievers and that want to do it all on their own and don't want to seek help. So what was the turning point for you, Patricia? So just recognizing, I think that was the turning point, recognizing that I need help, recognizing that this might not be for me and it's okay. And it's okay to step back. It's okay because I was feeling like, you know what, you're a failure, you're so weak, uh, you're not good enough, you're never gonna be good enough. I was just having all of these feelings, these negative, negative feelings. So I think the turning point was changing my mindset. And that's something someone very special to me told me, just change your mindset, look at it in a positive light. You went through this, especially God puts us through different trials and tribulations for a reason. And he does that for our good and our purpose and who we ought to be reflecting him and I feel like I was in this season for a reason and it was a good experience and I went through everything for a reason. God molded me, God shaped me and um, God disciplined me at the same time mm. because being this overachiever I kind of needed to take a step back, humble myself before the Lord and be like God I need your help and I think that point of surrender that was the turning point for me. As we all struggle through an unprecedented time in human history, we look to young people, singles, and our seniors who are among the hardest hit during this pandemic. Andrea Gruenwald is a registered psychotherapist and founder and CEO of Five Star Relationships. Thanks for joining us today, Andrea. Hey, you're welcome. Nice to be here, Maggie. There are many mental health challenges among young people that we're hearing about. New issues like selective mute disorder and crippling confrontation, anxiety disorder, um, listed as new mental health issues. Elaborate on this. Why are these growing? Why is this growing? Why are these growing numbers of these um, certain issues? Well, it's really concerning because these are all anxiety disorders. And when we have anxiety, we tend to want to avoid things and escape. So that's why we're seeing things like addiction going up, suicidality going up, selective mutism, people withdrawing into themselves. And so we're seeing a huge boost in that over this time. And uh, we need to figure that out with our kids. Some people are seeing their kids um, escape into video gaming. They're sleeping all day. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to go outside. It's very concerning. Let's talk about faith. How important is faith in this healing process when it comes to mental health challenges? For me, it's super, super important. I think um, it's based on relationship. You know, if we think about anxiety and feeling alone, feeling isolated, escapism, uh, just to know that you're not alone, that God is with you. Um, I think that it's super important to realize that um, God uses adversity. He doesn't waste it. So we're going to come out of this stronger, more resilient. And that's kind of, I'm excited about that for myself, my clients, the people that I'm seeing. And thirdly, I think it gives me hope, um, you know, that we are going to see the end of this. And I know in my own personal life, it's one of the benefits of being older, that there's so many times where adversity has happened, or there's been difficult times, and it's always worked out. So I have that confidence and the hope that it will work out, that God can do it again, and we can move forward in a much stronger, more confident, more resilient way. We have to hold on to hope. Thank you so much, Andrea, for your expertise on mental health today. Thank you.
we've all struggled with our mental health, whether we like to admit it or not. But as we've heard today, even in the midst of this pandemic, connecting with others in unique ways and being in tune with our bodies might be the way we'll all get through this challenging journey. Don't go through this by yourself. Call a friend, a faith leader, counselor. We're not created to go through life alone.